Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 15 of Out on a Limb. Today is the 13th of December, 2022. It is about five o'clock. We're going to discuss three topics today, the first two of which could hardly be more different. The more melodramatic one will be the first one, and that is uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested today in the Bahamas. Interestingly, uh, he was arrested on the basis of a U.S. warrant uh, and U.S. accusations, including seven rather serious criminal accusations. He was reported to Interpol, uh, Interpol, and then the Bahamian authorities arrested him. There's still an extradition question and why the Bahamas may be willing to extradite him to the U.S. because they certainly want to stay on the good side of the enormous country to the Northwest, which really dominates their economy. That doesn't mean that that Sam and his attorneys have to agree to it. So I think we're, we're going to have an interesting extradition battle here. Uh, uh, SBF was, has been doing a lot of talking on various... Uh, media. And one of the interesting things I've literally never seen before is that some sections of the indictment were literally taken from his own words since the collapse of FTX and the the reasons, the groundwork for those criminal accusations. And everyone knew they were coming. Uh, He thought he could sort of talk his way out of it, I guess, but instead he almost literally dug the hole deeper. To his credit, unlike, say, Do Kwan of UST Terra Luna fame, He's not hiding in Serbia, which has very few <laughs> extradition treaties since the break of Yugoslavia. So uh, at, at least I suppose he's, he's standing up for himself in that regard. His two deputies, though, appear to be keeping a really low profile. Uh, the impact of, of this is actually rather limited. And I want to go back, jump quickly to the, the third point, actually, since it's related to this. And that is a couple of my predictions about FTX. I made two. And one is that the FTX drop, the, the huge drop after the news broke, was really the capitulation of the crypto markets. And we move up from here. The second one was that there'd be limited fallout, fallout from FTX, both because of the price drop in 2022 and because the Celsius UST Terra Luna C. Doquan mess was predated it. And so because of the first reason, there was a lot less money in the sector. Because of the second reason, a lot of people had already de-risked. Obviously not you know, completely, but incrementally, they had clearly de-risked. And with respect to the first, so far, with BTC now having hit, amusingly hit 18,000 to the penny and then dropped down today, it's now down about 17,808. It looks like it's going to make another run at, at 18,000. It, it, it's trying to break out. Obviously, some of that happened on hopes of the CPI news, which is the second item we'll talk about. But this predates all of that. All of this happened during the day in, uh, in Asia or overnight in the west coast of the U.S. where I am. So there's a, really a, a breakout on the crypto side if we don't take another dip down. And that's my concern that we're going to have one more dip down. But nevertheless, if we don't have it, FTX will have been the capitulation event and that prediction will come true. Uh, it's true so far, but it hasn't been enough time. So I'm not going to take full credit for it yet. We'll see. We're getting there. The second is the limited fallout. And there, I think it's 
clearly proven to be right already, although we also have to wait a little bit there. And by that, I mean, despite the headlines you'll see, particularly in the fiat press, where everybody's talking, oh, my God, FTX is spreading all over the place. It's really not. You have the core company, so FTX, Alameda, and the companies that they invested in. And they have, there are a lot of SPVs or special purpose vehicles that are set up for one reason. And so there are 130 companies, but it's still pretty isolated within that ecosystem. Aside from that, you have BlockFi, and then you have Genesis. BlockFi has declared bankruptcy. Genesis, uh, DCG, Digital Capital Group, is still trying to, to figure out what to do there. But I suspect it will survive. And aside from the core group, that's really pretty much it. You may see some funds shut down. A couple of them have already because of the Luna issue. You may see a couple more shut down because of FTX. But overall, it's not going to be the sort of event that, say, Mt. Gox was about eight years ago when the, when hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin were stolen from really the first major Bitcoin exchange in Japan. So it, it looks like, and we have to wait probably through the end of the year, maybe January. By January, we should be able to confirm, okay, dude was right, limited fallout, or not, because we'll see more of a, more ripple effects. But I suspect we're, we've probably seen the, by far, the vast majority of it, and there won't be a lot more going on. And for capitulation, we will see. So the, the, two, the two FDX predictions look like they're coming true, and neither of them were particularly popular at the time. The, the second issue, and the way I wrote them down, I've actually done dealt with one and three already, is the, the huge CPI news that came out today. And then the even more fascinating uh, market reaction to it. Uh, last week, we discussed where, with respect to, to some China news, bad news really is bad news. I'm sorry, that was two weeks ago. Uh, this time, it's really when good news really is good news. So are the the, it's the alternative to what we've been singing about bad news being good and vice versa for a while. So the CPI last month in or last full month, October, was 7.7%, which is you know consumer price index in the U.S., very high. It's even higher, actually, in the U.K., but that's, as far as I know, the only country, OECD country, that has higher inflation. Economists, and my favorite phrase about economists is that economists have, have predicted nine of the last five recessions. Economists predicted 7.3. The reality came in at 7.1, which is a huge drop. It's 0.6%, so 60 basis points, but 20 basis points less than predictions, which are already pretty optimistic. Now, those numbers are good, but those are the superficial numbers, the headline numbers that everybody sees. Let's dig into them because that's where the real interesting stuff comes out. For instance... That CPI number compares a year ago, so uh, the end of October a year ago to the end of October this year, long period of time subject to lots of variation. It's in many ways much better to compare, especially when we're looking at short-term time frames and the Fed is month to month. And some people have said it's the monthly inflation figure that the Fed pays more attention to. So let's talk about some interesting numbers. In October, Inflation was 0.4%. If you annualize that, it's 4.8, obviously, and there's some compounding, so it's probably 5 or 5.1. That is a very, very high inflation rate. That was the monthly inflation rate in October. In November, it was 0.1%. 
So not only is that a huge drop, I'm mean, thinking about it, that's a three quarters, a 75% drop because uh, obviously from 0 0.4 to 0.1, but then it gets you to an analyzed, annualized rate of 1.2%. And at that low rate, there is no compounding effect to, to speak of. So absolutely massive drop in the monthly inflation rate, which is something that uh, we should focus on, I think, more than the annual rate. Without housing, the annual rate was 5%. So it's interesting, almost half of inflation is due to housing costs. The good news is that, hey, okay, the rest of inflation isn't so bad. The bad news is that housing inflation has a tendency to be stickier. It's coming down, but it's coming down slowly. Then we come to core CPI. Core CPI is interesting because it consists of the regular CPI or complete consumer price index with food and energy taken out. Now, why take out food and energy? Because obviously we need them both, not to spend money on both. It's because they're more volatile as a general rule than most other components of the CPI. So taking a core CPI has a smoothening effect over the numbers, and word has it again that the FOMC likes this particular statistic. Here, the difference is, is just really dramatic. In August and September, each of those months, core CPI was 0.6%. So here again, we're not talking about annual rate. We're talking about what happened in that one month, each of those months. In October, it fell to 0.3%. And in CPI in November, fell to zero point, core CPI fell to 0.2%. Now, it's more than the 0.1%, but of course, it's much less subject to volatility. That gives you an annualized rate of 2.4 with compounding maybe 2.5% per year. Now you're not materially, materially above the Fed's target rate, which is 2%. So they, if you dig into the data, it, they give you a lot, a lot more interesting information. One, one uh, aspect of it that's almost neither here nor there, but it's just so amusing. And I've seen it in a couple of different places now. I got to bring it up. You will never guess what the biggest component, uh, the, the component of the CPI that shows the biggest increase is over the past year. I'm just amazed that this is a separate category in the CPI, but there are some unusual ones in there. And the item is eggs. Eggs are up almost 50% year on year. So it gives you, uh, it's by far the biggest, some other elements have actually gone down in a year, but by far the biggest increase in eggs. Certainly not trivial because if you don't use a lot of eggs yourself in your household, eggs are used as raw, raw materials in a lot of foods. So the inflation in eggs actually uh, is more indicative than one might initially think. So then we get to the next prediction, which is probably such a slam dunk and an easy one. I'm not sure I should even count it as one. And that is that tomorrow, the FOMC will raise interest rates by 50 basis points. It's not going to raise by less because inflation is still quite high, even though it went down a lot to 7.1%. In absolute terms, that's a high rate. It's not going to go to 75 basis points because we just got the really good CPI information. So <clears throat> tomorrow is pretty much built in, 50 bips. That's not the interesting question. So I'm going to go out on a limb here with the next two uh, FOMC meetings and throw out the range and where I think we're going to end up. The January-February meeting, which is the last day of January and the first day of February, Tuesday and Wednesday, happen to fall that way. The question is now 25 to 50 basis points. 
I suspect that the Fed is going to do 50 basis points. There just isn't that much additional information between now and then. The Christmas season kicks in. I don't think the Fed is going to take their foot off the brakes yet. Then you get to March of next year. March, I think the Fed will do a 25 basis point increase, and that will be the end. That will be the last increase. Uh, I doubt we'll see increases in at, before the uh, beginning of 2024. There is a chance. Uh, it's a little bit too far out, and uh, maybe I'll go out on a limb again with that in, a, in, a, in another podcast. I won't today. But so there you have it. 50 tomorrow, not much of a prediction at all. 50 January, February, that's actually a bit hawkish, but I don't think we're going to see much progress because 7%, as I said, is still high. 25 in March, and then we're done with it. So there we go from Doquan hiding in Serbia, SBF arrest in the Bahamas, to the FOMC raising interest rates. It's amazing how we see traditional finance and the new digital economy converging. And the reason this is all important is because of the crazy correlation between crypto and fiat. And with that, I wish you all a good week. And we will speak afterwards and see how well some of those predictions came true.